We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Euro 2020 carries on, and for me, it's always a good day when Aaron Ramsey scores a goal. This is the Arsenal Vision Euro 2020 Daily. My name is Elliot Smith, the Kabak Man, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I'm happy to see Aaron Ramsey scoring goals. That's pretty much it. I mean, uh, I have other rooting interests, and I like football, and there are things about football that I find exciting, but Aaron Ramsey scoring a goal makes me happy. Um, Doesn't mean I want him back at Arsenal, but that's another story. We're not going to talk about Arsenal transfer rumors, mostly because heavy sigh. Here with me, as always, is Phil Costa. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil Costa. Hi, Elia. How's it going? Yeah, it's going well. Thanks. Um, I keep saying we're going to announce this Vegas event, but big companies being involved in it means red tape has to be cut. Graphics have to be approved. Sponsors have to sign off. The win has to sign off. But I'm telling you, August 20th to 22nd in Las Vegas at the win, we're going to be there. There's going to be broadcasters there. There's going to be uh, Big J journalists there. There's going to be all kinds of people there. You're going to be there. Arsenal America is going to be there. And, uh, and I'm going to be there, and we're all going to have fun. So... Yeah, there it is. I get some other fun stuff to tell you about coming up on a, on a main pod sometime soon, but let's dispense with the pleasantries, if you even consider that pleasant, and get on to what was, surely, um, the statement game of the day, and that is Italy's victory. We're not going to go in order anymore. I don't know why I felt we needed to do that before. Like, why would I make Finland-Russia the first thing we'd talk about today? No. Let's talk Italy-Switzerland. Um, following the group of death and seeing what France and Germany and Portugal are all about, you know, three potentially favorites, certainly with France and Portugal uh, getting wins. And having seen England play, one of the things that was sticking out in our mind was, hmm, maybe Italy are good, but maybe Turkey are bad. What do we think about this? Well, Italy put up a 3-0 again today, a statement victory over Switzerland. Manuel Locatelli, a player that we talked about on a prior scouting pod with Mohamed, uh, I want to say the summer before last, looking the business. And uh, overall now, I think you come away thinking this Italy team is for real. So, what is your headline from Italy thieves? Italy three, Switzerland nil. Well, I mean, it's it's difficult to avoid. I think Italy mean business. Mm. Um, I think even sort of going into the tournament, maybe they weren't exactly one of the favourites, but considering they were twenty seven matches unbeaten under Roberto Mancini, I don't think you could really call them dark horses. Um, if uh, you know, I know a lot of people have been doing so, but I, you know, that's why. 
I maybe steered away from them as my shout for dark horses because for me, Italy is still one of the the best teams in this tournament. And especially having won 10 out of 10 in qualifying, you know, they were always going to be, um, uh, you know, a difficult prospect for a lot of teams. And now they've just kind of proven their worth again with another dominant performance. And I think a lot of teams will be, will be looking over their shoulder now and thinking, hmm, another team has kind of joined the pack here. So, yeah, they mean business and they were really good again today. Yeah, I thought they were really good. Just in terms of the kind of goals that you enjoy, for you, is a, is a tap-in from a nice flowing team move a goal that you enjoy? Because I think sometimes we think of the, the screamers, but there's something so satisfying about pulling apart a team so much that all that's required at the end is a tap-in. No, absolutely. I love that goal. Um, especially, actually, if you look at, the, the pass that sets it all up, which is from from Locatelli as well with his left foot. He kind of meets it on the half volley and he gets it perfectly into the path of Domenico Berardi. And then it's kind of like the longest one-two you'll ever see because he's uh, somehow on the end of the cross again just to tap it home. And I think it was just such a nice move. And honestly, I didn't really expect this from Locatelli because he's kind of the guy who's sitting deep, dictating the play, you know, spraying the ball left and right. But you know, he took a gamble. He knew that Jorginho was behind him. He thought, you know what, screw this. I'm going to go and get my goal. And he followed the ball, followed the run and was, you know, criminally left unmarked by some Switzerland midfielders. Uh, and he just tapped it in for a really amazing goal and an amazing moment for him. So, yeah, and that really set the tone for Italy for, you know, they were completely dominant, as we mentioned. I thought he looked really good, that boy Locatelli. But uh, is he your player who stole the show? Who's the player that stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, it has to be him with with two goals. He was essentially the the match winner. I mean, as a whole, much like France yesterday, I couldn't uh, look at anybody in that Italy side and think, oh, maybe he was a bit off today. Um, you know, that they were all really good. They were all super aware off the ball. They were all, you know, clued in on their positions, their roles, but also really exciting going forward. They were very secure technically, and they didn't just use one avenue of attack, which I kind of felt that they did a bit in the first game. They were kind of putting everything through the left with um, Spinazzola. But Berardi, I know you mentioned him from the first game. He really had, you know, um, a really neat game technically, which can sometimes be his his uh, issue. And yeah, he was a constant threat. And as you mentioned, Locatelli for me was was just the match winner. He was tidy on the ball. He was supporting the attacks, getting stuck in well with his midfield partners. And yeah, this is kind of his sort of breakout performance where where the loving, the Locatelli loving begins ahead of a, a summer of transfer rumors, I guess. Mm, yeah, I, I mean, he's just a class player and it, I don't think that's a secret, but uh, a good day for him. So if he's your star player and your headline is that Italy mean business, what did we learn from today, if anything? I mean, for me personally, I think that they're head and shoulders above everybody in this group. Um, and I know Wales won impressively today and, and we'll get on to them afterwards. But I think as a team, um, individually, collectively, technically, physically, I was so impressed with their work rate today. There was one moment in particular where I think this, the second half substitute Zuba uh, managed to nip, nick the ball from someone and he kind of broke away and you know, before he even had a chance to look up, there was like three Italy players around him just snapping away. And I thought in these sort of warm conditions, having just completed 85 minutes, 
you know, they were on him like a rash. And I thought that was really impressive. And, you know, Mancini's got them playing at a really high level. And I think there's a, a growing belief. You know, you can sometimes feel the confidence and the swagger growing within the side. I mean, towards the end of that game today, you can really feel it from Italy. And yeah, uh, they're comfortably clear of anybody in this group. And a lot of teams will be hoping to avoid them in the next round. Well, let me ask you regarding getting to the next round. I don't know if this still happens, but I'm old enough to remember handshake draws. Wales-Italy sets up to be the perfect handshake draw because um, that would put Italy on seven, top the group, Wales on four, they go through, easy peasy. I guess given that most third-place teams are going to get through, there's less jeopardy to going for it. But given the goal difference being six, Wales would have to beat Italy senseless to get top of the group. It really suits both teams to take it easy and and kick it around the center circle for a while. Do you think that's something that could happen, or do you think we're beyond the days of that that sort of thing? No, I mean, maybe not so obvious as it may have been in the past, but... For sure, I think Italy are going to rotate. I mean, their midfield today was looking, you know, not leggy, but they took a couple of knocks and, you know, Locatelli was sort of limping off at the end, Barella the same, and it's just not worth it to risk these guys. You have a squad for a reason, you know, and they could comfortably switch in two or three guys and not, you know, feel... Sorry, if if Wales wins, I take it back. If Wales wins, they top the group. I I should stress that. They do, yeah, because they will be on... Yeah, they'd be on seven at that point. Yeah, yeah I mean, so I, I guess there's there's something to go for. Although you know, you don't know, you don't know if top in the group winds up being the best thing for you by, um, you know, depending on what happens elsewhere. But it just seems to me, um, you know, I guess with Switzerland getting hammered, the upside of it is Wales also don't have a lot of jeopardy of going for it. If Wales go for it and lose, and Switzerland beat Turkey they still probably can't get through now unless Wales lose heavily. So I guess it cuts both ways, right? Wales don't have much to lose by going for it. Um, and and maybe maybe as a result, it might be a fun game with Italy rotating a bit and Wales going for it. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that the guys, I mean, I expect Italy to rotate and I think the guys who come in will want to make an impact. Um, you know, there's people like Gaetano Castrovilli who can come into the midfield, Marco Verratti as well who can come into the midfield. I expect, Federico, <laughs> yeah, I expect Federico Chiesa to come in for Berardi on the right. So, you know, they have a lot of options. And as I mentioned before, they might not, you know, completely lose their rhythm. So, you know, it's difficult for Wales because on one hand they say maybe we can go for it. And on the other, it's like, okay, we're in a great position. Maybe we don't want to risk anything. So I don't see them changing from their, you know, their style too much. I think they'll kind of try and sit back and, and try and spring a, a surprise on the counter. Um, but for sure with Italy, uh, they'll be still confident of their chances to win, even with some changes in the side. Well, the reason Wales are in a position to do what we just discussed, uh, admittedly with me getting it wrong a few times along the way, as usual on brand, uh, is because they beat your boys Turkey. And mm-hmm. you have some splaining to do because you had Turkey as a dark horse. To be fair, you weren't alone. They... They are a dark horse in the sense that they are a horse that has turned dark from uh, maybe having passed away a long time ago, and now its rotting carcass is at the Euro 2020. Uh, other than that, I, I don't think that's what you, that wasn't what you meant when you said dark horse, right? Like the rotting carcass of a horse. 
Yeah, no, unfortunately, their leg's kind of broken, and I think I'm going to have to take it around the back. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, what what happened? Help, help me understand what happened here. Other than Gareth Bale, admittedly, who I said I'm not sure he still has it at top level, putting on a bit of an assist clinic, if not a penalty clinic, because that was quite funny, yeah. uh, including a beautiful one to, to Aaron Ramsey. What happened here? What's your headline? I mean, <laughs> Wales have done it again. That's my headline. They just don't die down. You know, you, you always think maybe they don't have the quality to, to manage. You know, there were there were really tricky conditions today in Baku. It was a really hot afternoon slash evening. And, you know, they, they they'd played, honestly, they played really well. Like the first half, they were making chance after chance. I know Ramsey was putting on an absolute clinic for third man runs. You know, it was like going back in time and watching him. I've had such a fuzzy feeling in my stomach. You know, I was so p- pleased for him. Um, but you know they they just looked really comfortable defensively. They were excellent. Ben Davies and and Joe Rodon from from Spurs. I know I'm not supposed to. I'll, I'll whisper it quietly. They were very good. Um, you know, and they just looked like such a team. They battle. They they're always together. And obviously, they, when they needed the moments of quality, they had it. I know Ramsey missed one sitter before before the goal, but. You know, it was really relentless and, you know, the XG, I think it was like 3.6 for Wales in the end, which is, you know, it's a hammering. Um, And yeah, Turkey just exposed again. The major frauds, I don't know who backed them to be, you know, anything special in this competition, but, you know, uh, yeah, they were really disappointing again and bar a couple of headers from set pieces, they created next to nothing, which is really surprising because, um, you know, they're not exactly an offensive force. But they have players who are coming off like really impressive seasons and they just never clicked. Yeah. Well, I I, I got to say, I mean, I, Wales is a team I find easy to root for and, and Aaron Ramsey getting the goal is great. Um, I, I, I have to admit, like, I, I'm always going to love Aaron Ramsey. I don't want him back at Arsenal for reasons we'll get into another time. But he just, he has that unique ability to find a way to get into places in the box where he can hurt you and score goals in a way that a lot of central midfielders just cannot do and it's a skill that i think has been woefully undervalued and maybe that could lead to a joe will conversation another time but uh who was your standout player from this game yeah i mean i I couldn't not go for him it's got to be rambo hasn't it aaron ramsey i mean as i mentioned before it was just so nice to watch him you know and and actually what i will say i don't think he looked 100 percent fit in the first game i think you can always tell when ramsey's even just five or ten percent off his full 100%, but today he was up and down, snapping into challenges. You know, there was one like incredible tackle that he made towards the end of the game when F- Turkey finally got three, um, sort of free down the left. And, you know, I thought it was the right back making the challenge. And then it, the commentator said, Ramsey, I was like, what the hell? How's he, you know, got back there? And, you know, it was just so nice to watch him. And actually what was so impressive for me was that, Turkey were playing with uh, Khan Ayhan as the centre-back instead of Demiral, who's who's usually a kind of a defensive midfielder. So his positioning was all over the place. And Ramsey was like, you know, a shark smelling blood in that situation. And constantly on that side, in, in between the right-back and centre-back, he was just time and time again getting into that space, running from deep. And he was timing them perfectly. And credit to Gareth Bale, he found him, you know, on three or four occasions. And, and those two were just... You know, Dan James played well again, but in terms of end, end product and, and final ball, those two are just levels ahead. 
and the goal was just such a lovely moment and I really felt pleased for him and, and for Wales. Yeah. Well, what did we learn today and why is it Turkey are very, very bad and you should feel bad about your prediction? Yeah, just really surprising and, and disappointing, honestly, because, you know, I didn't expect them to win, but I really thought they would be better than this. Um, you know, as we mentioned before, they had the joint best defensive record in qualifying. I mean, they conceded three goals um, and they, they took four points from six from France. They were like pressing and, you know, really exciting on the break. And I just haven't seen any of that. Um, I don't know what's happened. Maybe they're, some of their players are tired or the manager's got the system wrong or some of the personnel's not right. But I, I really don't know what's happened. They just don't look comfortable at all in defensively, especially they're kind of all over the place, which is really uncharacteristic. Can I ask you about that? Because the one thing I would say, Phil, sometimes I think in these tournaments, the way you start sets the tone for who you are as a, as a team. And like, they defended so deep against Italy. They didn't have any real impetus in attack. They didn't seem to even want to spring counters. It really looked like they were like, we're going to trust our defense that has got carried us through qualifying. We're going to try to get out of here with a nil-nil. We're going to hold Italy at bay. And I think just that total unwillingness to play and then getting smacked, I wonder if that just kind of, you know, not to go too hard into soft factors, but then you you find yourself in a game against Wales where now suddenly you have to kind of turn it on a little and play a little football. And I just wonder if maybe that, that the way they approached that opening game and, and the outcome of it really knocked them on their heels. Yeah, potentially. I mean, maybe it did knock the wind out of their sails a bit getting beaten like that in the first game. But I mean, barring a few, a few sort of headers from set pieces and they had a couple of bright moments when, you know, Chalanolu finally got on the ball and decided he wanted to be a playmaker. Um, you know, they got in a couple of times, but Wales defended brilliantly. I mean, Burak Yilmaz missed a chance, but he's hardly had a sniff this whole tournament. And, you know, coming off a 17-goal season for the, the Liga and Champions, you'd think maybe he's feeling a bit hot, but he's offered absolutely nothing apart from a few barges and, you know, some stuff like that. So, yeah, just really disappointing. And I think particularly their kind of go-to guys, you know, Soyuncu improved a lot today, but he was terrible in the first game. Chalanolu's been anonymous, same with Yusuf Yazici. And, you know, you can't get anywhere in a tournament if you play like this, you know, it's just, yeah, I'm really disappointed and they've made me look very silly because, you know, everything pointed towards them having a good tournament, but they've just been so below par. And I think there'll be a, a big sort of, uh, referendum when when the dust settles on this and maybe it will be the end of of Senal Gunesh because yeah it's been really underwhelming for for the Turks yeah yeah well no way to disagree there I, and the irony is because you know almost all the third place teams qualify I mean Phil theoretically if they win against Switzerland and finish on three points granted they're going to have a bad goal difference almost certainly no matter what still. You know, if there's two third place teams that are on one point, they could they could go through. Yeah, absolutely. Or they on could two do points, it. I should say. I don't think you can be on one. I don't think can yeah. you, can a third place team be on one point also? I guess, yeah, I guess it can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's it's not technically over, right? <laughs> no, no, it's not over. But I mean, if they're playing like this, then I don't fancy them to to get anything from any game, really. Yeah. Um, maybe they'll have a radical change in of system or something and. 
you know, completely fly out of the blocks against Switzerland, who were also terrible today, by the way. Um, you know, yeah, Granit Xhaka yeah. wasn't good. I, I want to point out. <laughs> no, he wasn't, but but nobody was. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Ricardo Rodriguez. I don't know if you were around on Arsenal Twitter in 2014 or whenever it oh, was. Yeah, 2016. Yeah. We were linked to him for months, and it was supposed to be the whole Granit Xhaka's like talking to him in the <laughs> Switzerland camp, and he was getting absolutely destroyed today, time and time again on on the on the left hand side. So. You know, and and they have a lot of experience in that side, but they completely underwhelmed as well. So, you know, it's uh, as it stands: Italy first, Wales second, and they completely deserve to be there. And you know, they've been the best two teams in the group. Obviously, Italy have been clear, but Wales are are well worth their position. I think. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things. That I don't want to go too too big on lol at turkey and your dark horse thing was was a bad idea and then they beat switzerland they sneak through as one of the third place teams and then they make a little run from there and then suddenly i've gone i've gone too big on you being wrong about the dark horse thing so i gotta be careful there although they certainly don't look like that's what's going to happen at this point the uh the other game today uh one that many people may have swerved which was finland nil russia won um a goal from mirin chuck settles it and uh you know this feels like one of those tournament games where it's not going to have any bearing on the tournament and it's just going to go by as a thing that happened and no one paid much attention to it. But since it is your job to pay attention, what is your headline from it? Yeah, no, I mean, my headline is fine margins decide the game. Um, it was not a good game, you know, at all. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, it was just kind of stuck in the middle, you know, loose touches, people losing the ball and then they would give it right back. And it was you know, Finland kind of defending deep, but never really being troubled. Um, but yeah, just before half time, Alexi Miranchuk steps up and then performs a, a brilliant piece of skill in the box to, to make a, a yard of space. And then he just curled a beautiful finish into the top corner. Um, it was a real moment of quality and ended up being the, the match winning moment of quality. And I think it deserved that because if you haven't seen the goal, I'd recommend looking it up on Twitter or YouTube or, you know, the official channels and um, looking at it because the way he sort go of to the, guides Go to the dark to, web, pay Bitcoin, watch it that way. Yes. Uh, the kind of the way he guides it into the corner with no backlift, no follow through. It was just such a brilliant piece of technique. And he's a good player, actually. Alexi Miranchuk, he plays for Atalanta. Um, another one at this tournament, he plays for Atalanta. There seems to be a lot of them. But yeah, that was pretty much the only sort of moment of quality. I mean, Finland had an early goal disallowed. Uh, Poyampolo with another bullet header, um, but he was marginally offside. And then other than that, Finland offered very little. Although I will say uh, Glenn Kamara was very good. Um, and Arsenal fans will know him from uh, the, the academy a few years ago. So he was very good for Finland. But yeah, they didn't offer much. And I think Russia probably just about deserved the win. And I think... You know, their main concern will probably be the injury suffered by Mario Fernandez, their right back who had a really terrible fall. And I think the the noise is coming out of Russia that he's done some potential spine damage. So hopefully that's not too serious because it looked like a really nasty one. Mm. Yeah, well, Russia get Denmark next, who by that time will probably be fresh off losing to Belgium. And with what they've been through, uh, likely to just have their tournament over and go home and, and forget this ever happened, understandably. Uh, mm -hmm. But that means that for Finland, you know, there's there's still some hope in this, I guess. I, you know, I mean, it it's three points and it may be enough. Um, but, you know, they'll have Belgium still to play. 
And you would not expect that to go well unless Belgium doesn't have anything to play for. So we'll see. Uh, in terms of the player that stood out for you, is it Marinchuk? Yeah, I mean, he had the the kind of the moment of quality in the game. I mean, other than that, I, I don't think he did so much. I thought, you know, he had some nice moments, but he was quite quiet, um, especially in the second half. I mean, another play... Oh, sorry mm. about that. It's a, yeah. An ambulance in they're, the background. They're, they're coming for the, the horse corpse of Turkey. Yeah. That's it. I don't know anything, I promise. Um, <laughs> yeah, other than that, I think... Um, Zobnin in the in the middle for Russia was good. His first name escapes me. I think it's Roman Roman Zobnin. Um, he's kind of a defensive midfielder, and I think he broke up the play really well when when Finland did threaten to break on occasion. But yeah, for me, um, it was the the match winner essentially, and that was Miranchuk. So I think Russia maybe have not been um, as good as their sides in the past, but maybe they can still offer something if they can get the likes of him and. And Golovin on the ball because you know they're... what happened to Golovin. He was he was kind of a hot prospect for a while, right? But he hasn't really made any noise in the tournament so far. Yeah, I mean he he went to Monaco from from CSK, and actually last season he had a really good one. Um, some injuries aside, he was he was good for Monaco under Niko Kovac. But yeah, he was kind of very tidy, you know, very um, sort of hugging the left touchline and coming inside and doing nice little one twos. But he wasn't really affecting the game too much. Um, you know, it was kind of difficult because Russia liked to go long to to Juba up front, who's like a one-man battering ram. And he kind of enjoys it as well. He's like smiling when he gets battered by defenders. So, um, yeah, it's kind of difficult for the sort of nimble playmakers to have an effect. But, yeah, he, he was all right. But I think if, if Russia are going to sort of rely on anybody to be their, their match winners, it's those two. So, yeah, for me, the, the highlight player was Miranchuk. Yeah, well... I, I think we can move on from this pretty much, but I, I still am owed a thing you learned. From, so did you learn anything from this? I mean, not particularly. I think, like you said, Finland can still go through. I mean, they're on three points, of course. Um, Russia will probably fancy themselves as the stronger of those two, and especially with Denmark next, who maybe aren't exactly in the the best frame of mind after what happened. I think they'll be looking at at that as an opportunity to really stake their claim in the group. But yeah, I don't think anyone can hold a candle to Belgium. And if, uh, you know, Finland or Russia or both go through, then I think there'll be the kind of um, fish food, should we say for the, mm-hmm. for the, for the predators. Yeah. Well, uh, good enough. Let's uh, let's look ahead to tomorrow before we get out of here. So we do have a, a fun a fun couple of games coming up because we get to see Belgium and we get to see the Netherlands, both of whom were pretty fun in the opening round. And in fact, North Macedonia, who played a really fun game with Austria. So it could be a surprisingly fun day. Uh, Ukraine were even, you know, a, a little bit feisty. Unfortunately, you know, I mean, watching Denmark, I think, is going to be the kind of thing we do with a bit of a heavy heart in this tournament um, because of what happened to them. So how do you look ahead to tomorrow? One of the tournament favorites playing, I, I think, a, a team that we all have a bit of sympathy for. And then... Definitely that that fun Netherlands team, uh, Ukraine and North Macedonia, two teams that were feistier than, than than expected. What's your what's your expectation for the games tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, I think in particular the both games in Group C could could shape up to be really good ones. I mean, Austria Netherlands, both teams won the last game. Um, especially the Netherlands in particular were a lot funner and more open than I expected. And even Austria, even though they weren't amazing against. 
uh, North Macedonia show that they can have players who can do damage. So I think this could be a really sort of interesting game, hopefully end to end. I would love another game like the the Netherlands-Ukraine one because I thoroughly enjoyed that. And I think we've been quite lucky in the whole tournament, really. I mean, today was the only real game that I kind of got bored a bit and was checking my phone and, you know, doing other bits and pieces. But um, and even, you know, Ukraine and Macedonia, North Macedonia, there's a lot at stake for those two. I think Ukraine, obviously the favorites, but like you said, Macedon- North Macedonia can play. And maybe if they can get a few openings, particularly in the wide areas like they did um, against Austria, they can maybe fancy their chances against Ukraine. But I think in terms of quality, um, Ukraine will be will be looking at that game and saying, look, we lost the first game maybe after we shouldn't have having got back to tool and now this is a chance for for them and Andrei Shevchenko to show why they impressed so much during qualifying. Yeah, and I mean, I, I hate to even bring it up, but the Belgium-Denmark game, is that going to just be that, that little bit difficult to watch in the sense that you would expect Denmark will have you know, a challenging time being up for it, having suffered a really brutal loss to Finland under the worst circumstances possible, now facing one of the most experienced and, and potentially dangerous teams in the tournament. feels almost unfair yeah, that I mean, they have to carry on at all. <laughs> No, I mean, the fact that they have to obviously come out and play and be professional after what happened is is, is going to be rough for them. I mean, obviously, this is, we don't know the full story with Ericsson, but he seems to be on the mend, thankfully. So maybe they can be buoyed by that situation. I'm not sure what the mood's going to be like in their camp, but obviously you'd fancy Belgium to, to do the business there and, you know... It, they, they have goals of their own. They're looking to top the group. They're looking to make a statement. And, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see Denmark um, causing too, too much damage, unfortunately. But, you know, maybe they could. And I think, you know, primarily it's going to be a really nice occasion with, with fans involved, um, with players involved and able to show some appreciation. I think there's, in the 10th minute, I think they're, Belgian players are committed to kicking the ball out of play and doing like a minute's applause for Ericsson, which was led by Lukaku. So that will be a really lovely moment for yeah. for the for the players and the fans in the stadium to sh- to show some support and appreciation for Ericsson. So um, yeah, hopefully the the game can be enjoyed on a on a positive note. But yeah, I think Belgium are kind of flying at the moment, and uh, Denmark might have their their minds and their sort of professional. Um, intentions elsewhere. Yep. Well, I and I, I think that's totally understandable. So it's tough because I think Belgium's a fun team to watch and a, an interesting team for the tournament. And I'd like to really get invested in watching them play. I just it's going to be hard hard to watch under the circumstance. Like I maybe that's weird, but I have no other other way to put it. So I think we can leave it there. Um, you know, we'll be back tomorrow. But I will tell you that. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday's edition will be hosted by other people. Uh, Phil will still be here, so the knowledge will still be there. But unfortunately, there'll be a greater degree of professionalism and co-knowledge joining him. We'll see who that'll be. But I am uh, off to celebrate my wife's birthday with her for a few days. And I think, um, you know, she's all the poorer for it, but she's stuck with me. She made the bad decision, and now she has to live with it. Um, I was about to make an Arsenal analogy, but I decided why ruin a perfectly good podcast that's just approaching the half hour mark. So let's get out of here. Phil's on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Phil, I will talk to you Monday, but I, I hope you enjoy carrying on with the, the what we'll call, how about we say better hosts? How's that? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, all good. I'm going to have to be um, 
I'm gonna have to go full Arsenal Twitter on you and keep tweeting announce Vegas on your on your timeline now to, Look, to get man, some- between the win and Coors Light and Blue Wire and stuff. I'm just a little meager podcaster who wants to announce his event and all those guys got to get, you know, rubber stamp this and rubber stamp that. But the fact that they're involved means it should be an absolutely epic good time. And uh, if you ever become allowed into the United States, I'd love to see you there. Although I, I, I hasten to add that that's probably not happening anytime soon. Well, we'll see. I think this one's a, a bit too soon, but yeah, definitely. If you have another one, I'm happy to be there. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. My name is Alex Smithy. Good me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, have a great next four days, everybody. I'll, I'll be sure to stay on Twitter uh, raging about Arsenal transfer news, but I'll be back to host this thing on Monday along with uh, a regular Arsenal Vision podcast. So wherever you are and whoever you support, remember, it's coming home. It's coming home.